You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. I'm not Jesus. I'm just a witness. I'm a good neighbor. It is written that the Savior, the Lamb of God, is a minus sign because he takes away sin, including me, minus mine. I'm just here to prepare the way for him. It is written that he came out the tomb like a baby out the womb, reversing the victory that death had assumed. Oh, death, let me help you understand. If he overpowered the grave, then he must have power to save. Take a lowercase master and make him a slave. I'm just here to prepare the way for him. It is written that the tomb is empty. Why do people look there? He's still preparing the way. Dark, light, death, life. Do you see the transition? The lamb exchanged one for the other. What an amazing transmission. Just listen. The Messiah walked out so that you can walk in. It is written, death will never win. He prepared the way for you. Father, your son, our king, our savior, right now sits at your right hand. Having finished and accomplished everything that he came to do. And so we come with excitement, with expectation, um, just to celebrate. And that's what today is. It is a celebration of hope and life and, and a resurrected savior. And so I pray as we gather and as others across the world gather to worship, I mean all across the world, millions of people acknowledging and praising a Savior who is alive. I pray as we do it in just our little little nook of this world that you would be glorified, that our worship, that our time of singing and just reflection on the gospel would be pleasing to you. And I ultimately pray, Lord Jesus, that you have brought people here that you love, that you want to save and forgive today. That you would do that today in this church and in all the churches as you are proclaimed. I pray you'll help me to just make clear the simple gospel, the good news of, of your death, burial, and resurrection. It's in Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. All right, glad you guys have come. Thank you guys standing up. You guys are rock stars. You got a front ticket to heaven. Not really, but yeah. Um, see, this is why you got to come to our sunrise service at eight, right? This is, you know, this eight o'clock, no one was standing, but we also got up at 5 a.m., all of us. So uh, that's the difference. For, this is a, for us, I don't know if, if you're visiting, if you're new, um, you haven't been here with Easter for us. For us, Easter is just, it's just a celebration, um, as a church, it's the one day a year that I'll wear a jacket, which is great. Unless you're getting married, I'll wear a jacket to your wedding. But other than that, um, it's, the, it's the day of the year that we come together and we just sing loud and we play the music a little louder and we have to park a little further and we don't care. And so if you're kind of that frozen chosen person, you're going to feel real uncomfortable today, but that's okay. If you're like that charismatic all over the place, then you're going to feel great. Um, and that's it, because this is for the church. This is a Super Bowl. For, for Jesus' followers, there is no greater celebration than this. This is our everything. 
right? Um, this is our day that we rejoice in what Jesus has done. And so in honor of our biggest day, I'm going to do something new today, something I've never done before. Um, I am going to give a test. All right, some of you are like, man, a test. You invited me to church. I've never been to church, and the first day I get a test. That's thank you so much. I'm never coming back, all right? Just chill out, some of you. I was a PE teacher, all right? So the only test we had was wear your gym clothes. You, you pass, right? So, so it, just relax a little bit, okay? Um, and, and, and before you get too nervous, just, again, let me settle you. This test has only one question, all right? Now, some of you half glass empty are like, great, I missed the one question, I fail, right? That's, that's some of you. You're asking, well, do I get points for putting my name on the paper, like the SATs, which, by the way, is not true. Some football player in, like, high school is like, hey, dude, you know you put, like, 800 points, you put your name on it. That's not true, all right? So just so you know, high school students, if you don't know your name, you shouldn't be taking the SAT. <laughs> I'm just telling you, okay? So anyway, so no points for your name, but here, this is going to be very easy. Not only am I going to tell you the question, all right, beforehand, I'm going to give you the answer, okay? That's, that's the PE teacher in me. One question, I tell you the question, and I even give you the answer. I can't get any easier than that, right? And here's a question, all right? You ready? Some of you are nervous a little bit. It's okay. Real simple. Three short words, right? Question number one, who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Some of you are like, oh, I might actually pass this test. Finally. That's the first time I've ever passed, right? Who is Jesus? Let me just tell you this. It is the most important question that will ever be asked of you. It is the most important answer you will ever give, right? More than the bar, the SAT, your, your senior exams, whatever it is. Who is Jesus, right? And we're going to look at a short passage today. This is going to be the shortest sermon you ever heard me preach. Hallelujah, right? That first service was like 26 minutes, all right? So that's great for you guys, okay? But we're going to look at a passage, just five short verses, where the one giving the test is actually Jesus. He is proctoring the exam. He's standing at the front of the class, and he is asking the question, who am I, right? Who is Jesus? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. We're going to look just at five verses, 18 to 22. If you have a Bible, great, open it up to Luke 9. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. There's some in front of you. If you don't even own a Bible, take the one in front of you. We'd love for you to have it. We as a church have been going through the gospel of Luke, one of the four gospels. We started in the new year. We're like 20 weeks in. We're about halfway through the book. And we have entitled the series, Fall and Rising. And the reason why is because when Jesus was eight days old and he is taken to the temple to be dedicated, this, this kind of sweet old man kind of runs up and grabs the baby Jesus from Mary. She's like, oh, she's like scared. And, and he grabs this baby and he prophesies over this baby and he says, this baby will be, is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And he's a sign that will be opposed. And what he's saying is, this little baby, this cute little baby, eight days old, this, he's going to be the center of controversy. He is going to divide. There will be a fall or rising depending on how people respond to him. He will be controversial, right? He will be polarizing, just like he is today. I mean, try to pray in his name. You're, unless you pray in his name as a NASCAR race, that's about the only place in public you're allowed to do it. 
then people freak out, try to say his name, try to talk about him, right? He's polarizing. He's polarizing today. He was then, right? And, and the same question that people are asking today, they're asking then. Back then, they're asking, who is Jesus? We've seen in this little book, we've only been nine chapters in, we have seen numerous times people are like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Chapter four, Jesus is in the tabernacle, in the, in the synagogue. He opens the, the scroll of Isaiah. He reads Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. I'm going to heal people. I'm going I'm to free people. He closes it up and says, that's all about me. And everyone is like, who is this cat? Is that not Joseph's son? That's a carpenter's kid. Who is he? Few, few verses later. He, he cast a demon out of a guy, and everyone was like, who is this cat that can cast out demons? A few chapters later, the, he's in this house preaching, and these guys put a hole in the roof, and they lower their buddy who's paralyzed down, and the guy's standing there in front of Jesus, kind of like hanging, and Jesus said, buddy, your sins are forgiven. And everyone freaks out and says, who is this guy who forgives sins? Who is he? He goes out and heals a bunch of people. He raises his kin from the dead. John the Baptist sends some messengers to Jesus saying, who are you? Are you, the one we're, are you the one we're supposed to be looking for? Who are you? The disciples are in a boat and it's sinking in the wind and the rain and it's going crazy. Jesus wakes up, calms the storm, and the disciples say, who is this guy who calms the seas? And the wind obeys him. We saw Herod last week. He hears about all this stuff going on, and, and Herod, who's kind of the, the governor of the province, is asking, who is this guy? I want to see him. I got I to gotta know who he is. Everybody is in asking, who is he? And we come to this pivotal point of the book where Luke is going to give us the answer. It's, just a, it's, a, it's, it's God's providence that we started this book, and on Easter Sunday, this is where we come. Who is Jesus, all right? I'm going to tell you, I told you the question, I'm going to tell you the answer. All right, so let's look at our text. Context, Jesus just fed 5,000 men, probably 10, 15,000 people with a couple loaves, a couple fish. All right, verse 18. Now it happened as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked him, who do the crowds say that I am? Jesus kind of interrupts his prayer. He looks over at his buddies and says, what's the word on the street, y'all? What are people saying about me? We've been doing this for about, what, three years now? What's, what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? The disciples answer. They said, John the Baptist. Remember, he just got his head chopped off a couple weeks ago. Others say Elijah. Elijah was a prophet that lived 900 years earlier, got carried up to heaven in a, in a fiery chariot. And others say, one of the prophets. One of the other gospels says, they say you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah was killed 600 years earlier. No, notice they, they're, they, they're all saying that he's a dead guy. All right, you're the guy who just lost his head. You're the guy that lived 600 years ago. You're, you're the guy that lived 800 years ago. All the, they're saying you're the guy back from the grave. But there is no consensus on who he really is, right? Everyone's been seeing him. Everyone's been hearing about him. Everyone's, he's the talk of Israel. He's been doing this for about three years now. And everyone knows about him, but they still have no clue. There's no consensus on who he is, right? No one can agree. And it's the same today, right? You ask people downtown, who's Jesus? Hey, he was a carpenter. He's the son of God. He was a revolutionary He's a rebel, a zealot. He was misunderstood. He was a loving teacher. He was a spiritual, all sorts of different, no consensus, lots of opinions, but, but no one really has the answer, or at least they seemingly do. And, so, and then Jesus now, is, I love it. He's going to, he's gonna put him on the, on the spot, right? This is when you're sleeping in the back of class of chemistry and the teacher's like, Fowler? And you're like, call you out. 
He says to them, who do you say that I am? What about y'all? You guys know me better than anybody. You've seen what I can do. We've slept under the stars for three years. We've done a ton of things together. Who do you say I am? And in my imagination, I imagine there's a pause, right? Everyone's like, I ain't raising my hand. It's like Mueller, Mueller, right? And, and people are like, finally, Peter, you're the big mouth. Why don't you say something? You're always talking. <laughs> now you're all quiet, Mr. Peter. And so Peter speaks up, kind of representing the disciples. And he says, you are the Christ of God. And, and y'all, this is a huge statement. I mean, we kind of get it living 2,000 years later. Many of us grew up in church. This is a ginormous statement. Right? The word Christ, for those not familiar, it's just the Greek word Christos. It means Messiah. It's just the word for Messiah. He says, you are God's Messiah. You're the one that the Old Testament prophesied. All these prophecies, all these things you're going to, you're going to rule and reign on the throne of David. You are the king of Israel. You are the deliverer. You are the savior. You are deity. Matthew's version says that, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's a term of deity. They're saying, all those things that are prophesied, you are it. It is a huge statement. And, and one of the other gospels says that, God, that Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon. Good answer. You get 100. The other 11, F, right? Because he says, you didn't figure this out on your own. God the Father revealed it to you. So don't, don't think you're so great because the Father revealed this to you, but good answer. But, the, but the, what Luke does is he, he, Jesus goes next and does something super bizarre, y'all. It's just strange to me. Look what it says. He strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one. Jesus says, shh, hush. Don't say a thing. And it's very strong in the Greek text. The word that's translated strictly command is actually a word elsewhere used of rebuke. He's, he commands them. He warns them. Do not tell a soul which I, what you just said. You're right. Don't say a word. Isn't that weird? I mean, if he's the Messiah, if he's the deliverer, if he's the promised one, you would, why do you want to keep it on the lowdown? Right? I mean, what do you want to tell everybody? But two reasons not, I think. Number one, Jesus is going to present himself as Messiah in his time. And his time is going to be what we celebrate Palm Sunday on when the prophet Zechariah said, your king will come to you, Jerusalem, humble and riding on a donkey, which is exactly what Jesus did a few days before he was crucified. That was when they were presented. That's number one. But the second reason that he doesn't want him to tell, and I think this is the big one, is because he was the type of Messiah that no one was looking for. They weren't looking for the type of Messiah he was. What, when they hear Messiah, when they hear deliverer as a first century Jew, they are thinking of one thing and one thing only. Kick Rome's butt. That's what they wanted. They had been slaves. They had been servants. They, they were sick of Roman soldiers in their cities taking their taxes. They were sick of having to do what they wanted to do. They wanted Rome out. And so when they hear deliverer, savior, Messiah, they are thinking, get rid of Rome. And the disciples who had been with Jesus for three years and seen him all, do all these things, raise the dead, calm the sea. They, Jesus had a free food fest, right? Fed all these people. If he can feed all these people and heal this, certainly he can kick Rome's tail back to Italy. 
and deliver Israel, like the promise said. That is what they were looking for. But that is not the type of Messiah that he was. That's not what he came to do. And so Jesus tells him, hush, say nothing. Saying, the Son of Man, he's going to say, circle this word. If you're a circler in your Bible, circle the word must. The Son of Man, that is a messianic deity title, right? It's an Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, talking about how, how Jesus was ultimately God. The Son of Man must do four things. And none of these four things were on their Messiah radar. Number one, he must suffer many things. A Messiah, a king who suffers, Kings don't suffer. Kings cause other people to suffer. Kings don't suffer. He must be rejected. Kings don't get rejected. Kings are adored. Kings are loved. Kings are cheered. He must be killed. Third thing. What good is a dead savior? If a savior can't save himself, then what good is he? And fourthly, he must be raised from the dead. Which they, it was like, went over their heads. They didn't even hear it. They're still stuck on the first thing. In fact, every time Jesus promises his death in this book, you're going to see it. He's going to continually do it. Every time he promises the resurrection and they completely miss it. They're like, if they got it, after Jesus was nailed to the cross and he died, they would have been like, y'all, it's okay. He's coming back. We're just going to hang out by the tomb and wait. Oh, and then when Jesus comes out of tune, be like, oh, we're expecting you. Come on. They were completely dumbfounded. They were lost. They were hopeless. They were weeping. They were crying. They thought they had wasted their time when Jesus came out. They completely missed it. Why? Because they weren't looking for this type of Messiah. They wanted one that dealt with what they thought was their biggest need, Rome. And what Jesus was, he wasn't dealing with the perceived biggest need. He was dealing with their real biggest need. And this is why... Peter, it's not in, in Luke, but it's in Matthew and Mark. After Jesus says, I'm going to do all these things, Peter kind of takes Jesus aside. He thinking he's all like, yeah, I'm the blessed one. You told me blessed. Good answer, right? Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. And it says he rebuked Jesus. It's the same word that's, that's translated earlier. He's strictly warned. He takes the son of God aside and says, buddy, you're scaring us. You need to stop with all this death and dying and stuff. That ain't going to happen to you. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. He went from being blessed to being Satan in like 30 seconds. It's like my kids, right? <laughs> anyway, why? Because he says, you're focusing on man and not God. The Father has sent me to deal with the biggest problem. I am here for one reason, one reason only, and it is not Rome. Rome is just a symptom of the problem. What is the problem? The problem is sin, that's the problem. The problem is that you and I have rebelled against the holy God. And because we have, we are alienated from the God who loves us and created us to know him. That's the problem. That we have a debt that we can never pay. A sin debt that we could never, ever pay. And Jesus says, I am coming to lay down my life willingly, to be rejected willingly, to be a sacrifice willingly, to die willingly. Why? So you don't have to. So that you don't have to. They wanted a savior for their perceived biggest issue. And he comes to deal with their real biggest issue. And this is the way, y'all, this is the way the whole gospel has been from the beginning. This is the way all the scripture is from the beginning. When Gabriel goes to Joseph and Joseph's like, I ain't marrying no girl, she's pregnant. Gabriel says, don't be afraid to take Mary. 
You're gonna have a son. He's gonna call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Why? Because he is going to save his people from Rome, from their sins. When the angels announce the birth of Jesus, they say, unto you is born this day a savior. And then they say, glory to God in the highest. And peace, it's not peace like peace on earth, John Lennon, hey. It's peace with God. That's what it is. When Simeon scoops up Jesus from his parents and they're freaking out, he says, I, and my eyes have seen your salvation for all the people, not just Israel, for Gentiles, for everybody, for you. And then he looks at Mary and says, a sword is going to pierce your soul. Speaking of the cross. It's the way it's been from the beginning. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus came to Bethlehem, that, that all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way, but the Lord God has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. The psalmist says that the Messiah would say, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Time and time again, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds, we were healed. This is the way it was from the beginning. This is what Messiah, this is the kind of Messiah he was. That's who Jesus is. It is God's expression of love towards us. It is the Savior meeting our greatest need. Your greatest, the greatest need of humanity is not, is not world peace. If, if the greatest need of humanity was world peace, then God would have sent us a politician. The greatest need of humanity is not world hunger ending. If he was, God would have sent a farmer or, or some kind of an economist. The greatest need of humanity is not we're bored. He, sent a, he would have sent an entertainer or a musician or a poet the greatest need of humanity is not that we're dumb, although some of us are. Or he would have said a tutor, an educator. It's not that people were not religious enough. He didn't just send a religious leader. It's not that, that longer life is our issue. He would have sent a doctor or a fitness instructor or a dietitian. The issue was that we were sinners, so he sent a savior because we were lost. And we were perishing without him. Our greatest need. And we could do nothing about it, y'all. We could do nothing about it. We were dead. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call from my wife. It's one of those phone calls you're like, oh, because I wasn't at home. She said, honey, there is water pouring through the ceiling. All right? And, you know, I'm 15 minutes away here. So I'm like, okay, tell me what's going on. Apparently, one of my children, and we will, you know, we will keep him anonymous to protect the innocent, but you got a 25% chance if you guess this way, because there's only four of them, right? So one of my children thought that the solution to a clogged toilet is flushing the toilet more. That's the solution, right? And after a couple, 10, 15 flushes, he thought, well, the next solution is to go to my next oldest sibling, who certainly knows all about clogged toilets. And so he comes in and it's the same solution. Let's just keep going. This is good. This is all fun. Two gallons at a time. I think ultimately they just wanted to have a sauna upstairs or something. So my wife calls me and there's four or five inches of water in the bathroom, which kind of goes into the other bathroom, which goes into my daughter's bathroom. 
and it's just pouring through the great room ceiling, right? Just pouring through. And so what happens is after we get, you know, the gallons and gallons of water, there is a permanent stain all the whole length of our great room. And, and we have, because we love the 80s, we have popcorn ceilings because everyone loves popcorn ceilings, right? Yeah, that's the one bad thing about the 80s. There's nothing else bad, but popcorn ceilings was bad. Okay, and so we have this stain that's just, oh, look, that's where the beams are. Can you see them now? Because every beam has like water. Just to see, you walk into the room, you're like, this is a, whoa, what happened to this room, right? It, it's a permanent, can't do anything about it. I mean, you, can, you, can't, you can't call your brother, you can't cover, you try to paint over popcorn ceilings that have been painted in 1986, it's not going to look good, okay? You cannot hide it. It is a permanent, irremovable stain. And all the effort to flush the toilet and call a sibling and clean it up, and you, you cannot do anything about it. It is a stain that is there. And the only way to deal with it is to call someone from the outside, and they got to come in. And they got to do all the hard work. And they got to do it at a great cost. And they got to scrape the ceiling. Right? All the way. And then they got to sand the ceiling. And they got to patch the ceiling. And then after all that's done, they got to paint the ceiling white. Actually, duck white. Okay? (laughs) It's fabulous. And only then can it be new. Right? Someone from the outside has to come in. It can't be a fowler, right? It can't be a fowler because fowlers don't know how to do this. There's nothing we can do. Someone from the outside has to come in, clean it, scrape it, paint it, and make it new. Y'all, that is exactly what Jesus has done, right? Someone from the outside came from heaven Someone did the hard work, lived the perfect life, loved those who rejected him. Someone paid the huge cost, his own life, becoming the object of the Father's wrath. You realize that Jesus actually became sin. For all eternity past, him and the Father had perfect oneness and unity, and on the cross is the one time ever where the Father turns his back on the Son. That's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he had literally become the stain of sin for us, right? Great cost. And then he makes us new. He paints us duck white. Actually, snow white. Not the, not the Disney. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be what? Whiter than snow. That is what Jesus does. That is who he is. God's Messiah, God's expression of love for you, the solution, your substitute, your savior, the one who comes to restore your relationship with God that you broke because of sin. He makes us new. And here's the best part. He didn't stay dead. What what does the text say? And on the third day, he said, I'll be raised. See, if Jesus only gets three out of four, that's great in baseball, right? It's horrible in church. Because if he is just suffering, if he is just rejected, and he is just killed... And there's no resurrection, then you might as well be at grandma's already, and you never should have put on seersuckers today. Because you're wasting your time. And so am I. 
In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection is not true, if the body is hidden, if the disciples hid it, if Rome burned it, if something happened, then our faith is the most useless. Do you realize, church, that the resurrection, what we celebrate today, everything in our faith hinges on that one event. I mean, the entire deal. The entire deal of Christianity rests on the resurrection. If the resurrection's not true, it doesn't matter what any of this says, nothing. You might as well bury Christianity and throw it out back. Everything rests on the fact that Jesus came out of the grave. If he doesn't, then he's just a man. Very misunderstood. And a liar, by the way, because he said he was coming back and he didn't. And he said he could give us hope of heaven and he couldn't. But he did come out of the grave. And because he did, we can know that our greatest need, that the stain of the nasty toilet water can be now snow white or duck white if you like duck white better if you just believe so back to our test question who is jesus and it's a little bit of a trick question i didn't tell you that up front because i lie a lot to you no not really i trick you it's a trick question because you can get the answer right and still get the question wrong what do i mean by that you can put the right answer down Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus rose again. You can have all the right answers, and that does not make you a Christian. Knowing the right answers does not make you a Christian. You know what does? Actually, I said it earlier, putting your name on the paper, that's what really makes it different. Because this is not your daddy's answer. This is not your aunt's answer. This is not what Fowler's answer. It's got to be yours you got to put your name on the paper. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus died for my sin. Jesus loved me. I was a rebel. I was a sinner. And Jesus forgave me. Jesus rose for me. It's got to be yours. It just can't be Uncle Sam's. It can't be Uncle Joe's. It can't be Grandpa, Grandpa Charlie's. It's got to be your answer. For God so loved the world. Most famous verse in the Bible. Don't even need a slide for it. God so loved you that he gave his only, his one and only son, the Messiah, that whoever believes in him, not about him, not I got the right answer. This is my dad's answer. This is the church. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So the question is this. What is your answer? Not what is Bill's answer. You got to answer it for yourself. Right? And the beauty of why we're here today is this, y'all. Before Jesus had accomplished what he came to do, he tells them, shh, hush, don't tell anybody. After he comes out of the grave, you know what he says? He says, tell everybody. This is why some of you were invited today by your friends. Because they wanted you to know that God loves you and wants to forgive you of your sin. It doesn't matter what you do. Your stain may be a little lighter than my stain. It's all stained. And there is no stain, there is no sin that Jesus cannot forgive. The Christian history is filled with murderers and adulterers. David, Paul was a murderer. People who rejected him, Peter, and he makes sinners whiter than snow. If they believe. If they believe. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, all we're doing is celebrating. Your job is to sing loudly. 
and to smile a little bit because some of you are like, I'm in church, I shouldn't smile. I don't know why. That's, you know, at least on Easter, smile. The rest of the year, don't smile, fine. But today, can you smile for me, please? Okay, good. But those of you who are not Christian, maybe you're not Christian, maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you had a view of Christianity. It's like, yeah, don't you guys do something with like smoke and robes and hats and, and, you know, kneel on the ground and do funny things with your hands like you're doing baseball signals? Yeah, that's us. Yeah. Not really. We are about one simple message. Christ died for my sins and rose again. That's what we're about. And if you've got questions about that, man, grab me, grab someone with a tag. I'd love to have coffee with you and talk about it. Because I know this is short and you might have questions. Or maybe you're, you've been in church your whole life, but the answer is not really your answer. It's your brother's answer. You've never made it yours. You got it up here, but you don't have it here. And you need to ask yourself, do I, do I have my name on the paper? Right? Wherever you're at, the reason you're here today, Jesus has brought you whether you knew it or not because he loves you and he wants to forgive your sin. And so that's what I'm here to tell you. I'm not gonna hush-hush about it and neither should you. That you are loved and can be forgiven today and have eternal life today because of your faith. So what is your answer? Who do you say that he is? Who do you say? Let's pray, let's worship, let's sing. Y'all, you got three songs, and then you can go and have ham and bad macaroni and cheese. Three songs, okay? Or maybe it's good macaroni and cheese, I don't know. But you're gonna drink sweet tea, and that's a good thing. Sing like Jesus is alive, because he surely, surely is. And if you got questions, come on down, we would love to talk to you. Find a guy with, I'd say find a guy with a tie, but everyone's wearing ties there, half of us. I'm not wearing a tie, so don't come to me. But... Um, Please find a guy with a name tag. If you have questions or fill out a connect card, we'd love to talk to you about Jesus and how you can start a relationship with him through faith. Let me pray. You guys stand. Father, I pray that your son will be glorified as we worship him. He is alive. He is real. He has accomplished everything that he set out to. You said it is finished and it was. He is hearing our prayers. He is hearing our songs. He is hearing everything across the world today as people praise him. I pray for people here that need confidence and in, in being bold in their faith, I pray for people here who need to know you, that they came in being, having been unforgiven of their sins, dead in their trespasses since they need to be alive through simple faith in you. And so I pray that you would do that today for your name's sake. Amen.